0: Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak. That you are a God whom we can trust in because you have revealed who you are. Help us this evening as we hear these words to trust you and so to do what is right and so to trust you for the results. Father, this evening give us ears to hear, minds that understand, hearts that are humble and open before you. Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 6, very famous. Who knew the story of Daniel in the lion's den before it was read for us? Most people knew it. I was trying to think of a a, a comparable story. Uh, You know, it's the sort of thing where you get that internet meme where it turns out that Avatar is is exactly the same story as Pocahontas. Has anyone seen that one going around? Well, in this one, I was trying to work out, what's this story? And I I reckon I can describe Daniel 6 to you using Aladdin. Uh, great film. I'm, I'm sure that it's a Pixar film, although Kate's disputing it. Uh, Pixar before Pixar became big. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Aladdin and Daniel chapter 6 are pretty much exactly the same story. See, the story involves an evil, conniving minister who's conspiring against the king. I mean, it's not that much of a conspiracy in Aladdin. It's Jafar with his parrot, but it's a conspiracy nonetheless. You have the king, who is powerful, but a bit of a bumbling fool, really. He has no idea what's going on. You have the inexorable law that cannot be broken. The princess must marry someone of royal blood. You have what almost seems an implausible statute, as Jafar, once he gets power, orders everyone to worship him. You have the righteous man, if you like, the uh, diamond in the rough who has to go through a trial by fire to be found out to be innocent. And then at the end, when he is vindicated, you have the horrible vengeance and punishment that is brought upon the evildoers. Although I don't know which I'd prefer, lions or 10,000 years in the cave of wonders. You pick which you'd prefer. So Daniel chapter 6 and Aladdin, they're very similar. But the reality is that there is something a lot more profound going on in this story of Daniel and the lion's den. Something very deep, a question that really is our question for today as well. And the question is this How does somebody who has faith in God live in a world that is hostile to God? How does somebody who has faith in God live in a world that is hostile to God? That's the question that Daniel faced. Now, we're not going to face the same choice that he did. You and I, we may be threatened for being Christians, but I doubt that it'll be with lions. We're not going to have exactly the same problem he did. But his world is our world. A world that is hostile to God. A world full of threats. A world, well, that doesn't want to have its conscience pricked. And so a world that doesn't want Christians to live Christianly. How do you and I live? How do we we work? How do we play? How do we relate to people? How do we make decisions in a world that is hostile to God? Daniel 6, Daniel in fact in this chapter is a model for us. He is an example. He shows us how to live by faith in God. In a world that is hostile. Now, that's what we're going to explore tonight. We're going to explore this idea of faith. What is it and what does it look like as we consider the example of Daniel? Now, Daniel chapter 6, as we saw, famous story, people know it. Surprisingly, little reference to it in the New Testament. However, there's one reference to it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Let me read it for you. We are going to look up a few different Bible passages, so you might want to tear off a corner of your bulletin or something and stick it in Daniel chapter 6 so you can come back to it. But let me read this one for you. It's a chapter describing the great heroes of faith of the Old Testament, these people who are examples, who are models to us. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, all these people of the Old Testament who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And who was it that shut the mouths of lions if not Daniel? Who was it who quenched the flames if not Daniel's mates, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, as we saw a few chapters ago? Daniel is held up for us as a model of somebody who lived by faith. And we see it in Daniel chapter 6. So I get Daniel open and as I say, stick something in there, we'll keep coming back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 23, at the very end of this episode, the king was overjoyed when he hears that Daniel is still alive and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in God. There it is. Because he had trusted in God. Daniel is a man of faith. Now what is faith? What do we mean by that word faith? In conversation with people, it becomes quite clear that often what one person means and what another person means can be quite different. In fact, the Bible uses the word faith in a very particular way. I'm going to give you some synonyms, a few words that mean the same thing as the word faith. One of them isn't particularly helpful at all, but the other three are. Here we go, four synonyms for the word faith. The one that isn't particularly helpful is the word believe. It's not helpful because we have a whole bunch of other meanings tied to believe in the same way that we do to the word faith. So it's not super helpful for us. But here are three helpful synonyms for the word faith and they are these. Trust, rely, depend. Trust, rely, depend. There are three words that as the Bible uses it are used in the same way as the word faith and it changes it quite a lot because we talk about having faith as if that means something but let me let me ask you a question let me ask you a question do you trust do you trust now I hope you're sitting there and what you're thinking is David that question doesn't make sense what do you mean do you trust Do do I trust in what? It's an incomplete sentence. You can't just say, do you trust? You have to tell me what is it that you're asking me? Do I trust in? Do you trust in? Do you rely? Do, Do I rely on what? Do you depend? Well, do I depend in whom? It's the same with faith. If I ask you, do you have faith? That's an incomplete question. Do I have faith in what? Now you can trust or depend or rely or believe in or have faith in a number of different things. In an object. You can trust a person. You can depend upon a message, an object, a person or a message. For example, right now every single one of you is demonstrating an inordinate amount of faith in the pew that you're sitting in. You may have tested it. You may not have tested it. You may have evidence that this pew is trustworthy. But you're trusting it not to cause you grievous bodily harm, right? I mean, you're sitting on it. You probably plonk yourself down. You have faith in an object. You can have faith in a person. I'll talk about that in a moment in a sec. You can have faith in a message. You can trust in a message. If someone ran through the door right now screaming fire, with a cloud of smoke billowing behind them, we would trust their message. We would depend upon their message to warn us that there's a fire coming and I hope there would be a stampede. Mass exit? Well, no, very calm, orderly exit. That's what you do in a fire, isn't it? You don't run. You can trust a message. And you can trust a person. the way, you trust a person who you know, who speaks to you and whose actions match what they say. Are you with me so far? Faith, the synonyms of faith are to trust, to rely, to depend. You have faith in something, whether it's a person, whether it's a message, whether it's an object. And so the point that I want to make here is that everybody has faith. It's not a Christian thing to have faith. It's not that people out there don't have faith and people in here do have faith. The question is, what do you have faith in? What do you trust in in your life? the person who, hasn't, who isn't a Christian has gambled their life trusting that Jesus did not rise from the dead. The person who isn't a Christian lives by faith that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And Of course, the Christian depends upon the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. Daniel lived by faith in God. He lived by trust in God. Well, the, the best one, I think, is dependence. He depended upon God. All right, what did that faith look like? What are the characteristics of that faith? And I've got four points. Knowing the Bible, doing right, causing offence, and trusting God in the results. Knowing the Bible. See, in order to trust someone, in order to trust God... You need to know that person. That makes perfect sense. Does anyone in this room trust Peter Blouse? No, I, I do. Anyone in this room trust? Okay, there's, there's two, three of us. Does anyone in this room trust Peter Blouse and not know Peter Blouse? Okay, so there's a few people. Peter Blouse is my dad, by the way. A few people trust him. Oh, All right, that, that's why. I, actually, maybe I shouldn't. Never mind. You have to know. You don't trust him because you don't know him. Who is he? I've got no idea whether he's trustworthy or not. In order to trust someone, you have to know them. You have to know their words. They have to have spoken to you about themselves. Daniel trusted God because he knew the Bible. How's that for a claim? Daniel knew the Bible. How do we know? How do we know that Daniel knew the Bible? Sorry? He prayed? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Although earlier in Daniel, people were praying to idols, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But that's, yep. And we'll see in a moment the form in which he prayed is very important. Yeah? Now, I'm kind of cheating, right, because it's not for another two chapters that we find out why Daniel knew the Bible. So if you flick over to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and this is what we read at the start of this chapter. In the first year of Darius, so so same sort of time frame, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and in ashes. Daniel knew the scriptures, at least as much of them as they had then, he knew the prophet Jer- what the prophet Jeremiah had spoken. Uh, Jeremiah was probably a contemporary of Daniel, maybe one generation earlier. Uh, I mean, it's no surprise that Daniel knew his writings. He wrote a letter to the exiles in Babylon. But Daniel clearly knew the Bible. He knew the God who reveals his purposes. He knew what he was supposed to be doing in the world because God had told him. He was a man of the word. Relying upon God means relying upon his words. That is faith. That is dependence. To trust in a person is to trust their word. If you say that you believe in God, and uh, I've, I've, I have lots of conversations with people who say, I, I believe in God. Yep, God's there in one form or another. If you say that you believe in God, then you must believe his words. You can't separate the two. If you say, I believe in God, but I don't believe what he says, then what you are doing is creating your own picture of God rather than believing in the God who has revealed himself. To trust, to live a life of faith begins with knowing the Bible, for that is where God speaks. In the same way that Daniel knew clearly what was expected of him in his life at that point of time, in order for us to know what God expects of us, well, we must know the Bible. Now, Daniel's trust in God is seen firstly in his belief in God's word, his belief of God's word, and secondly, in his actions. It involves knowing the Bible and doing what is right. So back in Daniel chapter 6, And verse 22, we read this. Uh, "What Daniel answered, O king, live forever. Verse 22, my God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Daniel can say God saved me because I was innocent. I was righteous. I was a blameless one. Now, we we struggle a little bit with that, let's be honest. Uh, certainly in the proclamation of the gospel as we speak of Jesus, we put faith and works in very separate categories. And we want to be very clear that salvation is by faith alone, only by trusting in God. Our works contribute nothing. And yet here is Daniel saying, I was found innocent and so God saved me. Now, I think that that separation is perhaps a little bit too far sometimes for to trust in God is... A good work. It begins with trusting in God and trusting in God results in good works, in doing what is right. Daniel did what was right. And for him, that meant turning to prayer. See, verse 10, when Daniel learned from the decree, that the decree had been published, so in, in the middle of a world of hostility, in the middle of a world that had purposefully set out to get him, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. For Daniel to do what is right at this point meant to go home and pray. Why? Why would he do that there? He's just heard the decree that says, if you go and pray, I'm going to kill you by lion." And so he went home and prayed. And in fact, not only did he go home and pray, he went home and prayed in this very specific way. Why? Well, because he trusted in God, that's that's pretty good. I mean, it could have been spite. What's the first thing you think of when someone says, don't do that? Oh, I'd like to do that, wouldn't I? Well... I don't think that's it. I don't think he's thumbing his nose at the king. He, he goes and prays as usual, as was normal for him. No, see, Daniel prays this way because he knew the Bible. Because he knew the Bible. Turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. It's page 330-something, few Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 8. Three three four. One Kings chapter eight and verse forty-six. Now this is Solomon praying when the temple was finished built, being built. He dedicated the temple to God, and this was the prayer. It was a prophetic prayer. It was looking into the future. Verse 46, he said this: When they, that is Israel, that is God's people, sin against you, that is God. For there is no one who doesn't sin. And you, God, become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you towards the land you gave their fathers, towards the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. Daniel knew the Bible. See, Solomon, a few hundred years earlier, had said, God, I know that a time will come when your people will sin against you because everybody sins. And when they do, you're going to send in an invading army. That invading army is going to destroy them and carry them off into exile, exactly what's happened between Israel and Babylon. And when they're in exile, if they remember you and they turn back to you and they pray towards Jerusalem, then hear them and act. Why does Daniel go home to his open window towards Jerusalem and praise? Because he knew the Bible. He knew what God wanted of him and so he did what was right. There's nothing extraordinary about Daniel going home and praying. He's just believing the Bible. And the only reason Daniel could have had to stop praying was lions. That's not a bad reason in the grand scheme of things. I think we come up with a lot lamer excuses than that. But, well, what are lions compared to the word of God? Daniel did what was right. In fact, Daniel did what was right not only before God, but he even did what was right before the king. Did you notice that? I've done nothing wrong before you, O king, back in Daniel chapter 6. Saved by doing what was right. And Daniel had faithfully served two empires now. The Babylonians first, now the Persians. He went about doing his job. Why? Again, because he knew the Bible. Now We'll go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, I've got no idea what page that one is. It's about, it's about that far from Daniel. Jeremiah chapter 29. Someone got a page number? What is it? 764. Three. Jeremiah 29, and we'll read from verse... Again, this is a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile in Babylon. This is what he said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Right? I mean, he could have just written to Daniel. That's who this is addressed to, along with all the other Jews. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Or down in verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Daniel knew what God wanted of him in his life then, and he did what was right. In exile, your job isn't insurrection. Your job isn't to fight off the oppressors, to somehow overthrow the Babylonian government and forcefully get yourselves back into power. Your job is to do good for that city. And as you do good for it, as it prospers, I will look after you. You just be patient. Your job is to do your work with integrity. Let me come and rescue you when the time is right. Daniel knew the Bible. He knew what God wanted for his people at that point in time and he did it. Now as an aside, it's worth mentioning that it was right for Daniel to serve the institutions that were over him. That was God's command to them. It's a theme that the Bible carries on, that it is right for us to serve the institutions placed over us. Whether it's in family structures, whether it's at our work, whether it's our government even, it is right for us to be under them, whether they are good or bad. Y- you couldn't ask for a much worse government than the Babylonians over Israel. And we, we have the weird system in Australia where we often end up serving a government that we didn't vote for. The people that you don't want, they come into power and then... They're your government and you respect them. I mean, they're by and large pretty good, right? But they are people we didn't vote for. Does that mean I don't have to honour them? Well, no. They are placed there by God and we are to honour and serve them. Now, of course, there are limits to that service. When the question is, will you serve man or will you serve God, the answer is very clear. We must serve God. And so the king demands of Daniel, pray to me and not to your God. And Daniel says, well, at that point, I can't. At that point, I must obey my God. And yet Daniel went about doing what was right. In this whole story, he is the only one who is concerned for the welfare of the king. Quietly doing what is right. And you know what? You can't do what's right in a godless world without causing offence. You cannot do what is right in a godless world without causing offence. Paul puts it this way in the the second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, he says this, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There it is. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Daniel causes offence because of incorruptible service. Because he's not corrupt. He won't be bribed. Because he works hard and faithfully. Let's read again the start of the chapter. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, these governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. These governors were made accountable to them that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel is the auditor. He's the one who's in charge of making sure that other people don't defraud the king, that the king gets What is rightfully his? And Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. What's Daniel doing? What is right. And what happens? It causes offence. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel caused offence because of incorruptible service and his world is exactly the same as ours still today. It starts at school. The the kid who wants to do his homework, who wants to do what is right, who wants to obey the teacher. We call them suck-ups. They get bullied. They get picked on. And it keeps going all the way through work. The one who works faithfully and diligently shows up the ones who don't. And so is persecuted for it. A Christian who works hard with integrity will be singled out. I worked for a technology company for a little while and uh, we made a number of different products. One of them was two-way radios. And our two-way radios, you can use them for all sorts of things, voice, data, uh, a whole bunch of applications. And your eyes are glazing over, you really don't care. That's fine. Let's keep going. And we sold two-way radios and one of the guys was in charge of sales for two-way radios. He was the sales manager. And he was on a salary, so he got paid his monthly wage, but he would also get a commission if we made enough sales in the month. So this bloke, he was savvy. This is what he'd do. In the month, once we'd reached the target for him to get his commission, any other sale after that, he would delay invoicing. So he wouldn't invoice it till the start of the next month. I mean, the product would go out, the sale had been done, but he wanted the sale amount to count towards next month's commission to make sure he could get it. Now, what happens when a young upstart of a sales intern comes along and says, well, hang on, we've got to do the right thing, we have to invoice on the sales date? this young punk is doing the right thing, but what do you think this manager will think of him? See, righteousness exposes wickedness. The person who is faithful exposes those who are not. Oh, the classic example, uh, knock-off time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, if you work at 9 to 5. We used to knock off at either 4.30 or 5, depending on what time you started. And you could pretty much guarantee that the last half hour of the day was dead time. I mean, it, it'd take you 15 minutes just to wash up a mug... Uh, You'd spend another five minutes tidying your desk, just moving some papers around. With about ten minutes to go, everyone would start that slow walk towards the door such that bang on the hour, you're gone, right? Half an hour of effectively stolen time from the boss. And what happens when you've got the one person who is still diligently working hard all the way up to the hour that they are paid for? Well, it shows up the wickedness of those who are greedy and lazy. To do right in a world that is full of corruption will always cause someone offence. You cannot live a godly life in this world and not be persecuted. And so, as Daniel did, we must too trust God in the results We must trust God in the results. See, Daniel knew what was the right thing to do because God had said it. And Daniel did what was right because he trusted God with the outcome. Even if it it looked like he did wrong, he would pay for it, he trusted that God would look after him in the results. That God could and that God would rescue him. This is a A theme that keeps going the whole way through the Bible. We see in the New Testament, Stephen, one of the first martyrs, the first martyr in the New Testament, trusted God, proclaimed Jesus, even in the face of being stoned to death, trusting that God could and would rescue him. The Apostle Paul says it, Peter says it, Jesus is the extraordinary example of it. Not my will, but yours be done, Father, even as he walked to the cross. We know how that story ended. God could and would save him. The empty tomb, reminiscent of this story, Daniel, morning breaks and Jesus is alive. It was in that passage uh, in 1 Peter, let me just read it for you, 1 Peter 4.19, this would be a great one to learn by heart, good memory verse. 1 Peter 4.19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. If you suffer for being a Christian, if you suffer for obeying your God, then entrust yourself to God and keep doing what you're doing. Let him take care of the salvation. See, our temptation is to compromise. Our temptation is to compromise because we think we can create some sort of better result. That if I do this thing here, it may be a little bit dodgy. It may be a little bit... uh, a little white lie, a little something under the table, just, just a little something, I'm going to get a better result instead of doing what is good and trusting God with the results. I, I caught myself doing it just this week. Uh, you ever, ever had a voucher with an expiry date on it? And you kind of go, ah, well, I reckon I can bluff my way through this one. Oh, it had an expiry date on it. Did it? Oh, no, I didn't say that. No, no, no. Yeah, you'll do it for me anyway. Excellent. It's just this little compromise. I know what my God has called me to. He's called me to honesty. And and I thought that in this little moment of compromise, for the sake of a few dollars, I would trust myself rather than him. See, in Daniel, not even the king can change the outcome. He tries all day and he can't. He's impotent to affect anything for good. It is the living king who rescues. That's a great hymn. At the end of the chapter, Darius finally sees it. He says, I issue a decree. In every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God is able more powerfully than we can possibly imagine bring good and yet we think that by compromising we can somehow create a better result. God is a God who saves, who rescues his people. Let's come back to that starting question. How does somebody who has faith in God live in a world that is hostile to God? How does somebody who depends on God live in this world? Well, we must know the Bible. Daniel knew very clearly what God wanted of him there and then. Do you know what God wants of you here today? Do you know? what God wants of you. The only way to know that is to listen to him, to know the Bible. We'll have to read it. We'll have to spend time with it. That will require discipline. It will require effort. It will require us to do it whether we feel like it or not. You can't trust someone you don't know. You can't live God's way unless you know what it is. We must know the Bible. Knowing the Bible, we must then do what is right. Live out what God wants of us. Obey God, knowing that even as we do it, it will cause offence to those around us. For we live in a world full of wicked people. As we are righteous, it will expose their wickedness and so they will persecute it for us. Therefore, we must trust God in the results. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this extraordinary example of this man, Daniel, faced with circumstances that to us seem extraordinary and yet knowing your word, he lived it out, trusting you for deliverance. Father, thank you that you continue to speak. In Jesus, you have given us the final word. You have given us the person who is eminently trustable, the one that we can put our whole lives in his hands. Father, please, may we know your word and so do what is right. And as we are persecuted for it, Father, may we trust you rather than compromise. Amen.